the Dust Bowl, civil rights movement. And so we're seeing that many scenarios are converging together at once. I've been listening to a variety of preachers and prophets and reading and studying and just seeking the Lord a lot myself. And so I'm going to share with you some of what I've gleaned um, directly from the Lord, I believe, and then also from the voices and the people I've been hearing. But it's obvious to all of us that both God and the enemy are at work right now. It's easy to see what the enemy's doing. He always comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as Jesus said in John 10, 10. He wants to destroy the nations. He wants to destroy America. He wants to kill off as many people as he can. He wants to steal salvation, steal faithfulness, steal the glory of God. And so um, that, that means that spiritual warfare has ramped up. Many are saying this. There is an increase of spiritual warfare that we must engage in as the people of God. You know, if we just see ourselves as children of God, then we think in terms of our inheritance as children. But if we also see that we are part of the army of God, then we realize that there's a calling on us, a claim that God has on us in his army to do his bidding. There's a scripture that says his voice goes out before his army. We've got to be able to hear his voice and know what our role is in, in the army of God. So. We need to engage in spiritual warfare as the Holy Spirit leads us. I'll remind you of a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spiritual darkness, against the uh, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it starts out saying we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do wrestle against principalities, powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness, the darkness of this age. So we are wrestling. We're not just sitting back and thanking the Lord that he accomplished everything on the cross because the enemy is still at work. God is still at work and we want to work with God and against the enemy. And then I'll also remind you of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 that says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds that we take authority over every thought that is not in captivity to Christ. And so we're actively engaged with spiritual weapons, not with natural, but we do use spiritual and we do engage. So that's what the enemy's doing. But what is God doing? Let's go to Haggai chapter two. We looked at this uh, not too long ago, we're going to look at it again. Haggai 2, 6 and 7. And this is a scripture that many prophets around the world are mentioning. So it's, it's the Holy Spirit is bringing it up to his people to show them what he's doing. Haggai, that's a little book before Zechariah. Verses 6 and 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more... It is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a prophetic scripture. This is a prophecy that there will come a time when God will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in it, and all nations for the purpose of causing everyone 
to come to the desire of all nations. And that is a name for Jesus himself, the desire of the nations. So the Lord is shaking all nations so that they will come to faith in Jesus. And then he will fill his temple with glory. And we are his temple today as the new covenant church, the redeemed church of God. He wants to fill us with glory. So in the context of the shaking, what's happening even right now with COVID, with the riots, with the locusts in Africa, with the economic collapse around the world, all of this different shaking that's going on, Jesus will emerge as the desire of the nations. That's the Lord's goal in all of this. It's amazing that we get to live at such a time. It's never been a time in history like what we're walking through now. So Haggai 2 is interpreted in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's go back there. We also looked at that sort of recently, Hebrews 12. We're going to read 25 through 29. Now I'm going to ask if someone else will read this for me. Can someone read this? Can you unmute and read this? 25 through 29, Hebrews 12. Eva, you got it? Okay. You have to unmute though. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now it has promised, he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, thanks. So the God is shaking everything that can be shaken. Let's just talk about us. Let's not talk about the nations. God is shaking everything that can be shaken in our lives so that the unshakable kingdom of God will remain. He wants everything else that we trust in, every foreign God, every area of compromise, anything that is shakable, that's not founded on the rock of Jesus and on the word of God. He's shaking all these things so that only the unshakable kingdom of God will last. And then verse 29 says that God is a consuming fire. This, this shaking reveals an aspect of God's nature, which is pure, holy fire. We don't usually hear teaching about that, but that is part of the nature of God. He is pure, holy fire. And structures are shaken so that God's true nature will be on display. 
if we all saw God as he was, we would bow down in holy fear. And that's part of our problem. We don't see God as he really is. The nations don't see God as he really is. And so they rebel against him. But there's, there is a shaking and a fire now to bring the nations to again have an opportunity to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and the King and to give their lives to him. This is a critical time for us to be praying the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into his harvest fields because this is a season of harvest. It's a season of shaking. It's a season of, of fire and it's a season of harvest. And we need to uh, speak up, as some of you have already said, take every opportunity to speak the words of the Lord and the love of God in opportunities that we have. And at the same time, be looking at our own arts and lives and asking the Lord to search us, to remove anything that we're trusting in that is not in him. The fire we endure reveals who we really are. And hopefully it will reveal the Lord's holiness and purity in us. So as, you know, when we first start going into the COVID-19 shutdown, I think a lot of us were searching our hearts and praying and fasting and seeking God and, you know, what's going on, trying to get our lives right, praying for the church, praying for the nation, praying for other nations. And then I think we just got lax. And, and there hasn't been the same amount of prayer. There hasn't been... And the same amount of pressing in and of personal repentance and corporate repentance. And we kind of thought we were over the hurdle. And now the Lord is doing a whole fresh shaking. Now there's more restrictions again. And, and some countries are talking about further lockdowns again. And, and I think it, for us, it needs to be a wake-up call that the Lord says, hey, there's still a slumbering church out there that I want to wake up. So let's make sure we're not part of the slumbering church. Let's make sure we have awakened and we press in. We don't, don't get weary in well-doing. Keep pressing in in prayer. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep, add fasting to your prayers when you can because that moves your prayer life to a whole new level, a whole different level of authority and power and effectiveness, even if it's just fasting a meal. You know, it can be simple. It doesn't have to be real intense. But any level of sacrifice that you add to your prayer life will expedite your prayer life and what God wants to do. Turn now to Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. I'm going to start reading in verse... 14, we're going to read through 17. 14, he says, The sinners of Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And I feel like the Lord's saying that to us today. Who among us will dwell in the fire of God. Who among us will dwell with everlasting burning, allowing the Lord to burn out of us everything that's not of him and set ablaze everything that is of him. Verse 15, these are the ones that can endure the fire. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, 
who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him and his water will be sure. So this verse 16 says he will be in a secure, safe place from the enemy and from famine. In the midst of famine, he'll have water. His bread will be sure. And then verse 17 says, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Your eyes, those of you that endure the fire, those of you that allow what can be shaken to be shaken off of you mm -hmm. so that it's pure gold left, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Man, isn't that a great promise? I'm mm -hmm. excited about that. That's the result of verse 14. If we will walk through the fire and let it do in us what God wants to do, we will see the king in his glory. We will see the land that is very far off. So we must endure this fiery trial to receive the blessings that follow it. Go to James chapter 1. James 1, 2 through 4. We're going to be looking at a few scriptures, as you can tell. James 1, 2 through 4. says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, many trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is our goal, you guys, to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if the Lord allows us to go through fiery times and trials and difficulties like what we are right now recognize that he's building endurance in us because he wants us to be perfect mature complete lacking in no area you know for a long time it seemed like we were we were growing in the lord a piece at a time a little bit here a little bit there we're growing in our knowledge we're growing in our walk with the lord but you know the lord now has has catapulted us into a whole different place now we've got to grow quickly. Now we've got to memorize the word quickly. Now we've got to put off sin quickly. There's no more room for lukewarmness and for slow growth. Just a few nights ago, I had a dream. In the dream, I don't dream a whole lot about spiritual things. Uh, but when I do, I recognize it right away that this is from the Lord. And in the dream... Uh, we were in a season of persecution here in America, and Reuben and someone else was captured, and they were arrested, and they were put in prison somewhere, kind of like a concentration camp. And I, so I could see them, but I was different. I wasn't captured yet, but right away, I was also captured, and I was taken into the same area where they were. And we were all saying, man, we didn't know we'd be arrested this quickly. We had no idea things were coming down this quickly. So Reuben and I said to each other, let's start quoting all the scripture we know and make sure we've, we've got it memorized well and we can encourage everyone around us. And we started quoting one of the Psalms and we got through about verse three or four and neither of us could remember the next verse. And I said, Reuben, we should have memorized scripture we should have given ourselves to memorizing 
chapters of the word, not a verse here and a verse there. We should have really applied ourselves in memorizing. And I woke up with that. And I, I shared it with Reuben and I said, man, I, I really believe this is what we need to do in this season. We've got to allow the word to work in us. We also let it renew our minds, but we've got to commit it to memory as well. I started having dreams about this since I was nine years old, that there would come a day when we would not have our Bibles and the only Bible we have is what we've committed to memory. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't had a dream like this in many years. So I, I just believe it, it's a further wake up call to me. And I hope so to you as well. Okay, uh, go to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. This is one of the key verses that I'm, I want to emphasize. Verses 1 through 3. And what's that reference again? Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. So this passage is really for Israel, but we take it for us as well, and then we give it back to Israel. You know, we share, we share a lot of verses with Israel. So it starts out in verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Okay, so he says, this is really an imperative. He commands us, arise, shine, don't hide your light. Arise and shine boldly. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Not it has, it will, it is now. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness is covering the earth and gross darkness, the people. So that's intense darkness is covering the people. We're seeing that now. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. That is what we want to cling to. That's what we want to walk in. And then a promise follows that, verse 3, Gentiles, that means the nations, and that means ethnic groups. All ethnic groups, all nations will come to your light. People that are in the world that don't know Jesus will be drawn to us because his glory will be seen in us, because we've arisen with his light upon us. So where we are right now is we're in escalating darkness and escalating glory. They are both escalating at the same time. I don't know if you're aware, but there are 150 chapters in the Bible that talk about the second coming of Jesus. 150 chapters. I'm quoting Mike Bickle there. I've heard him say it so many times, I almost feel like I can say that without quoting him. So this is one of them. That the Lord is his return in the before his return, escalating darkness, escalating glory. The result of God's glory is being seen on us who walk with the Lord. And that will be that nations, ethnic groups are drawn to the light of Jesus in us. So what do we need to do? We need to shake off all spiritual slumber. We need to shake off all laziness. We need to seek God diligently. And make sure it's his glory, his life that is showing through us, not woundedness, not bitterness, not anger, not fear, 
not discouragement, not despair. None of that glorifies the Lord. We want to make sure it's his light. It's his glory that is seen upon us. This is the time for deeper consecration and an intimacy with the heart of God. Okay, don't just, don't just understand God from what you hear other people say. Cultivate your own intimacy with the heart of God, with the mind of God, with the spirit of God. We need to hold tightly to God's promises at this time and stand firmly in faith. Don't slacken your faith. Don't backslide at this time. Pray for your family members to stand firm with the Lord. Reuben and I were praying last night for family members and calling them all before the Lord by name, that they'll walk with the Lord, they'll be faithful to God. Go to Isaiah 26, verse 9. Isaiah 26. Verse 9, he says, with my soul, I have desired you, Lord God, in the night. When we, when we read the word night in scripture, sometimes it means actual nighttime. Many times it means a night of the soul or a night of the nation, a dark place, a difficult time, a season of, of night, of despair, of not being able to see clearly. And so he says, Isaiah says, with my soul, I've desired you in the night. Lord, in the midst of this night season, we are desiring you. We desire him. We don't desire freedom from this. We don't beg, Lord, let us go back to life as we knew it. Let us have the comforts that we used to have. Let us have the conveniences we used to have. That in our prayer life, our prayer life is, Lord, we desire you in the night. We are pressing into you. We are hungry for you. He goes on to say, yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. I'll seek you early in the morning. I'll seek you early in my trial. I will seek you as my top priority. My, the first thing I do, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. That's very key for right now because a lot of his judgments are in the earth. The enemy is shaking, but also God is shaking. When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God. That's the way we've always talked about it. But it is always, is also the right view to view the Father. That's righteousness, to see God as he really is and to align our lives with him, to align our hearts with his, to align our minds with his, our wills with his. That's righteousness. So God's judgments reveal the Father's heart. God's judgments reveal what God really is. God's judgments reveal the beauty of Jesus. The judgments of God bring justice to the world. Don't you want to see justice come to the oppressed? The slaves, those who have been sex trafficked, those who are being marginalized, those who are starving to death. We need the judgments of God in the earth because when God's judgments come, he eradicates the wickedness. He sets things straight. So we don't need to fear the judgments of God. We just need to make sure that everything in our life we have judged and we've brought it to the cross 
so that he doesn't have to judge it. God's judgments remove what hinders love and holiness. And so he shakes us to remove compromise. He is shaking and testing his people for his purposes now. And the enemy is sifting the nations to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are tempted in the midst of it all. Every time you go through a trial, there are three things that are happening. There's God testing to see how we're going to stand and if we'll be faithful. There's the devil tempting to try to trip us up and get us off track. And there's our temptation in the midst of it and the way we choose. So our choice determines, are we going to go with God? Or are we going to go with the enemy? So right now we're being, we're being tested and tempted to question God, to fear rather than be strong in faith, to complain, to succumb to despair, to criticize, criticize leaders that haven't made decisions you hope they would make. So on every trial, the enemy tempts us, he sifts us, and in every trial, God tests us. And this trial that we're all walking through is probably one of our greatest collective trials. It's a personal trial for many of us, but it's also a collective trial. We're going through this together as the body of Messiah. Will we press in closer to God in consecration and intimacy, in trust and faith? Or will we yield to fear and unbelief? And here's a question that has been really, uh, I don't want to say tormenting me, but I've thought about this so many times, especially in the last week. And that here it is. How much more shaking must we as God's church endure before we become in earnest in seeking God and repent of all sin, compromise, and lukewarmness. How much shaking is it going to take before we will get on our knees and on our face and plead with God for mercy? How much are we going to put up with? Are we going to keep putting up with riots in our nation? Are we going to keep putting up with starvation in other nations? genocide in other nations when are we going to shake ourselves loose from our comforts to get on our face and seek god for righteousness to be restored of the world for wickedness to be judged for god's will to come and and to be done in the earth even as it is in heaven so i'm going to say it again how much more shaking must we as god's church endure before we become earnest in seeking God and repent of our sin, compromise, and lukewarmness. <clears throat> Tony Evans put out, you know, Pastor Tony Evans, he, he put out a, a letter a few weeks ago called A Spiritual Pandemic. And I want to read just part of this. He says, right now we are in the middle of multiple simultaneous pandemics. We're facing dual pandemics, a medical and a cultural pandemic. And yet deeper still and at the root of both of these is a spiritual pandemic. We have wandered far from the value system established by God for how human beings are to live, act, and relate to one another. The solution starts in understanding how the world works. We gain one of our greatest insights into this through reading 2 Chronicles 15.6. I had never noticed this verse before. 2 Chronicles 
In this passage, we see that when the spiritual principles are placed aside, there is no peace in the culture. It clearly states, nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. God troubled them because they put his spiritual principles aside. <clears throat> so he goes on to say, the Israelites had so hardened their hearts toward God and rebelled against his righteous rule that he initiated an ongoing state of distress. Now, if God is your problem, it doesn't matter what programs you come up with because only God is your solution. The roots of the problems we face in our nation today are clearly spiritual. God has been known to allow chaos to get his people to call to him for help. When we appeal to him, he is able to reintroduce himself into the scenario and usher in the healing that we desperately need. We need to appeal to God to turn this around. Nothing else is gonna do it. It's a spiritual problem and only God is our answer. <clears throat> so Pastor Todd Smith of uh, Christ Fellowship Church in Georgia, and he wrote this, these are unprecedented times. We are walking through territory that no one else has had to navigate. But we must not be scared. We must be sacred. You can see the difference, scared and sacred, same letters, just rearranged. We must not be scared. We must be sacred, wholly devoted to the Lord and advancing his kingdom no matter what. The most dangerous component in the USA is a church that is consumer-based, offended, lukewarm, lazy, entitled, unholy, carnal, backslidden, and prayerless. A lukewarm church will be responsible for God's judgment in America if and when it comes. So what does God require of us? Well, there's lots of scriptures we could look at, and there's just a couple I want to mention. One is Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, do righteousness, do justice, speak up for justice, be fair in all your dealings, do justly, love mercy, be merciful to all all different races, all different political parties, be merciful in your heart, be merciful in your prayers, be merciful in your actions, do acts of mercy. And then third, walk humbly with your God. We gotta walk humbly before the Lord. He could allow our country to go total, totally into destruction at this point. It's in the hands of the believers what's gonna happen. The scripture we've so often quoted, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it's if his people will humble themselves and pray and confess their sin and you know turn from their wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. It's in our hands, you guys. It's in the hands of the church. It's not in the hands of the unbelievers. It's up to us. Another scripture is uh, Mark 12, 29 through 31. This is when the, the guy said to Jesus, What's the greatest of all the commandments? And he said, the greatest of the commandments, the first of all is this. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do this, you will keep the law. So if we will love God with all that we are, fully devoted to him, passionately in love with him, loving our neighbors, caring for our neighbors, we will be pleasing to the Lord. And then let's look at Revelation 3. This is a good definition of the Laodicean church, which the American church looks a whole lot like right now. I, I could just say the Western church in general. It's not just America. It's the church in the West. Revelation 3. <clears throat> Hey, Kevin Sweet, do you have that? And you'll need to unmute. And if you can read Revelation 3, verses 14 to 21. 14 to 21? Yes, sir. And the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the church in Laodicea writes the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works; you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to bring from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. That's great. Thank you. So we're like the Laodicean church. Look in verse 15. He said, you're neither cold nor hot. You're not cold. You don't refresh anybody with living water. You're not refreshing to be around. You're not life-giving to be around. But you're also not hot. You're not on fire for me. You're not ablaze with the things of God. I wish you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, you're neither one. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You think, you're, you think you're rich, you think you don't have any needs, but I see the dire need that you are in. And this is where our nation is, in such dire need. And Jesus says, I counsel you to buy 
gold refined in the fire. Allow the fire to burn in you and give you that gold, that, that faith that is as pure as gold. White garments, those always refer to righteousness, righteous white garments. I counsel you to put on righteous garments and then anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you can see the way I see. Get my perspective. See from my vantage point. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. God loves us. That's why he's chastening our nation. And we must be zealous and repent. And then verse 20 says, I stand at the door and knock. He is knocking and asking for repentance from the church. This isn't for unbelievers. This is for the church. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and you open the door, that is, an, that is symbolic of repentance. You open the door, you welcome me into vibrant fellowship where I am abiding in you and you're abiding in me and we're communicating with each other and we're one with each other. In that place, we move into an overcoming relationship. Heart-to-heart -heart fellowship, spirit-to-spirit -spirit fellowship with Jesus. That's what he wants. There's an intercessor, an international minister of the gospel named Billy Brim. She said the Lord told her in 2008, one thing will save America, and that is an awakening to God. One thing will save Israel and the nations, and that is an awakening to God. Politics won't save us. Only the Lord can save us. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. And we do need to vote. We don't just pray. We also vote. We need to vote our conscience. We need to vote biblically. Don't sit at home when it's time to vote. So we can and we must pray for a spiritual awakening in the USA and in the nations. Millions of lives depend on it. If things keep going downhill, many are going to be taken into hell eternally. But if we will pray that God will give us a reprieve, God will have mercy on us and have mercy on the nations and pray that he sends labors into the nations, millions more can be saved. There's been a prophecy that in the next 10 to 20 years, one to two billion will be born again. But it won't happen if we don't stand on the wall and pray. It says in Ezekiel 22, I looked for a man to stand in the gap and to build up a wall, but I did not find one. You know, brothers and sisters, let's don't let that be said of us. Let's, if, if all he can say is, I looked for a man to stand in the gap and I saw people in Waco, Texas. I saw people in Centurion. I saw people in Indiana standing on the wall, building up a hedge of protection by praying and interceding. Maybe that will turn, maybe that'll change his mind. Maybe he'll have mercy and he'll relent from the judgment that is, certainly coming our direction right now. Uh, one more passage. If you'll go to Joel chapter one. Joel is one of the small prophets. He's right before Amos, I believe. Yeah, after Hosea, before Amos, Joel one. He says, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Don't just pray, Lord, bless our food and also have mercy on our nation. You know, get on your face and cry out 
to the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart, not just your garments, not just on the outside. Rend your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. You know, when God said to Moses, he was so mad at the Israelites, and he said, I'm going to wipe them all out and make a great nation just out of you. And Moses stood in the gap and he said, don't do that, God. Then, then the nations will say, you couldn't take care of your people, so you killed them all. And because Moses stayed, stood in the gap and interceded, God saved the nation of Israel. God was going to wipe out Nineveh. But, you know, so he sent Jonah to go preach because the heart of God is to save. The heart of God is for mercy. It's compassion. And so he sends Jonah to go preach. And as a result of his preaching, the king calls everybody to fast and pray for three days. And God relented from the destruction that he was going to bring. <laughs> God often relents if we will just pray, if we will stand in the gap. So, you know, let's be quick to confess our own sin. Let's repent on, be sin, on behalf of sins of our families, sins of our cities, sins of our states. If he reveals any laziness, compromise to us, let's, let's change. Let's don't stay there. Let's repent. Let's let the shaking do a complete work in us so we can see the king in his beauty and carry his glory. That can be our destiny. And I pray for each one of us, we will walk in that. Let's per pursue a deeper consecration to the Lord and a greater intimacy with his heart. Let's intercede for our fellow Americans and for our nation and for all nations. Maybe he will relent. And he will turn, as it says in verse 14, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him rather than judgment. So that's what's, that's what's on my heart to share. I, I, as you can tell, I, man, I, I just really feel the burden of the Lord for this. I feel the burden of the Lord for our nation, for other nations. I believe if, if we don't step up and step into the gap, we're, we're moving into such darkness. The good news is, as darkness escalates, so does the glory of God. Let's make sure we're walking with the Lord in such a way that we can carry his glory. So Reuben, I don't know how you want to lead us into praying about this, but I'm turning it over to you. Well, Thank you, Janet, for that lightweight message. Uh, I see everyone smiling. We all know that that's very ironic. But, you know, there is a sobering wake-up call. Um, David Wilkerson wrote a book, Set a Trumpet to Thy Lips, uh, quoting from the prophet, that he needed to herald what he saw on the horizon. And I have to believe that what Janet shared with us this morning are things that are in God's heart. I almost kind of wish he didn't have that dream. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, dreams do happen. Um, and if, if we are arrested, if we are imprisoned, if we are martyred, uh, that is to the glory of God. Uh, we have no control over the way in which we're going to leave this life and enter the next. 
but let us prove ourselves to be faithful. Um, I think uh, Janet really struck a chord the other night when we really felt that um, we were not memorizing and having the word inside of us to the degree that we needed to have it. And that brought, it immediately brought back to mind when uh, in 1975, 1975, 1976, I had just uh, come into the uh, tremendous uh, fullness of the Holy Spirit like I'd never known before. And I was at a a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting of wonderful Catholics that were born again and loved the Lord. And there was a young man that was in his early 20s. And it was the first time that he had ever stepped out in the word of prophecy. But I'll never forget it because he prophesied in, in such, he didn't yell it, he didn't scream it, but there was an authority behind his words when he said, you live in the day where you have the luxury of having many Bibles around you, a Bible in front of you, on your shelf. It is readily available. But the Lord would say, a day is coming when the only word of God you will have will be that which is in your heart and memory. And that young man was in a motorcycle accident the following day and died. But I remember the 325 people of that prayer community at that prayer meeting, they transcribed that prophecy and passed it out all throughout the Chicago area. And I'll never forget that that was such a warning from God and how this was the last word that that young man was able to give to the body of Christ. And then God took him. So we need to be met. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By meditating upon thy word. Thy word that I meditate day and night. And I just, I confess, Lord, I have not been meditating in your word. I've not been savoring your word. Lord, I've not been memorizing your word. But Lord, the time may well come when the only scripture we will have is that which is hidden in our hearts. And Lord, we know so little. We have John 3.16 down. We have our favorite verses perhaps down as well. But Lord, we know so little of thus says the Lord. We know so little of, of the Holy holy, holy Bible. But Lord, I pray that even in, our, even in our aged years, you would restore in us a youthfulness to want to meditate and to memorize your word. Let it come into us. Lord, I'm just really thankful that in this season, right now at Highland, right now in our home church, Pastor John is encouraging the whole church to memorize Romans chapter 8. And Lord, I want to confess before you and before my brothers and sisters, I've not taken that to the seriousness that I should be. Lord, I believe maybe even without his awareness, or maybe he is aware that we're all going to need to tap into the, 
to the word of God that has been memorized in the days to come. So Lord, would you help me? Would you help my brothers and sisters that we would take hold of your word as life? Thy words were found and I did eat them and they became unto me the very life of my soul. It became living water. It became life. Lord, that's what, how the prophets saw your word coming into them, the digestion of it and the life that it, that it just releases within us. So Father, I pray that this would be a wake-up call to us this morning on this primetime Zoom. That you'd wake us up. Lord, the, the one verse that Kevin didn't read, which was verse 22, in the end of that Revelation passage about the Laodiceans, he that has an ear, or she that has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So Lord, we just want to pray that you would unclog our ears this morning. And forgive us for so much that we've listened to that has discouraged us. Lord, forgive us for watching the news too much and not watching and reading and meditating the good news and hiding the good news in our hearts and lives. So Lord, we, we want to come to you in an attitude of repentance this morning and ask that you would forgive us of our sins are not only the distractions that we've had, but the things that we've not done that we know what is most right to do. Lord, forgive us for the sins of omission in regards to your word. And I pray that this day, there could be a new declaration of dependence upon God, a declaration of independence of the freedoms that we have from this world and from the ways of the flesh and from the ways of the enemy, that we declare that our lives today, anew and afresh, are free and independent to a relationship with our God. So Lord, I pray that you would seal our hearts to yours in a greater way right now so that Jesus can be glorified, Jesus can be honored, Jesus can be seen and Jesus can be heard through us sons and daughters so that your name and your name alone might be glorified to the place that it rightfully deserves. Thank you, Lord, for this morning together. Give us, give us the grace to walk in newness of life and obedient to your word so you can call us your friends. Amen.